Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready for You know, I, I can't help but think that I might have finally identified what it is specifically about that song that kind of galls on me just a little bit. When I was a young lad, summer was something to look forward to. As the song suggests, the lack of school, I actually liked school, but you, know, you didn't have to wake up early. There were no obligations on your time. It was a brief period, you know, three to four months of mild chaos and anarchy, the ability to, to do whatever you want, to stay up as late as you want, to sleep in as much as you want, and with no possible repercussions, as long as you stayed within the bounds of the law and the rules of your house. Now that I'm older, I just realize summer is, it exists to kind of make you miserable. It makes you hot. The kids are always there now because you can't get rid of them. Oh, no. They're just there now. The heat goes up. The bills go up because Lord knows you can't live inside of a house that's over 100 degrees. So you got to cool it somehow, some way. And it's just a hot, stuffy, overly bright mess. And since that, uh, our intro song celebrates that hot, bright, long day, short night, crowded, loud, overstuffed mess, I get a little bit uh, irksome regarding that song. Hi, everybody. Uh, on that pleasant note, this is the Rattletrum Broadcasting Network Movie Review Podcast. I am Robert Winfrey, and tonight we are reviewing Disney Pixar's Finding Dory. The sequel to Pixar's first major smash runaway, you know, rob the bank and get out of town success that was Finding Nemo. Here with me as usual is the bright sunshine loving, happy-go-lucky, he can find the positive and darn near anything. It is, he, has, he brings the parade, I bring the rain. Mark Radlich, how you doing this evening, Mark? I didn't even understand that first thing that you you you, you, you just started saying things like everything is hot and sticky and I tuned out because I don't I love you Robert Winfrey it's like my wife my kid you um actually that's not true it's my kid my wife <laughs> you um, she's in the background you know, there isn't she you're trying to set up another divorce cast <laughs> sitting right on the couch. <laughs> I'm not listening to you. Exactly. Um, but I, I don't want to imagine you hot and sticky yuck. That, that seems yucky to me. It's an atmospheric condition. I live in a desert, for crying out loud. <laughs> it's the same kind of bit. You live in a desert! Oh, 
and do that? No, can't say that I have. Oh, you should stop this podcast right now and go listen to, uh, I'm always suggesting we do something other than a podcast. Um, you should stop this podcast right now and go look on YouTube for Sam Kinison talking about, uh, you know, the kids in Africa. And, <laughs> and it's like, I have the solution for starvation in Africa. And this was during like the height of the Sally Struthers thing, you know, where she would come on TV uh, and she would beg for money. Uh, I was like, I have an idea. Don't st- stop sending them money. Don't send them anything except for luggage. Send them bags and <laughs> send them suitcases. And I'll go down there and explain it to them. But you live in a desert! <laughs> Move where the food is! You see, this is the thing. Nothing grows here. Pretty funny. Well, it's also a gross exaggeration of the political and economic strife facing those people. I mean, that's, well, yeah, I, I, I mean, sure so. you can laugh at it if you're, you know, a tad heartless. So the free state of Jones is currently at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a tad surprising. How many reviews are there? However, however, Independence Day, 57%. And we'll be talking about that uh, next week. Yeah. Yeah, we will. (laughs) My wife has just complained that we have talked about everything but Dory, so maybe we should get to it. Well, considering she comprises at least 50% of the listening audience, I suppose we should. (laughs) That's not true. We have decent numbers on my network. I know. I I know. I just... I couldn't help it. Had to make the joke. Because we're a small podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and I love each and every one of you. Okay. There are six reviews for the Free State of Jones, all of them rotten. I imagine that will change as it gets more reviews, but that's uh, a tad troubling. It looks like a darn good movie is what disturbs me about it, and if those aren't getting the, and if, you know, the critics aren't liking it when it's supposed to be a critical darling, well, eh, not, does not bode well. Let's uh, go ahead and phrase it like that. All right. Moving on to Finding Dory, the smash hit. The smash hit, I say. Yeah, um, it was. Weekend of the month. Certified fresh, baby. Woo! Of the last, finally. We finally get to talk about a movie that Mark doesn't have to necessarily defend left, right, and center. No, I'm here to tell you Finding Dory stinks. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not one of those guys. You, you don't have it in you, Mark. You just don't. There's too much sunshine in your I, soul. I will say this. There are 11 rotten reviews for Finding Dory, but we're not there yet. So let's talk about the sequel. All right. Yes, let's. You know, uh, I don't know how much we want to get into the production of this movie. I'm glad this movie came out when it did. I'm glad that it was not rushed. You see, Finding Nemo, which I have to bring up here very briefly, simply for context in a couple of ways. In 2003, Finding Nemo made $936 million. 13 years ago, this thing almost made a billion dollars. It was one of the highest grossing films of the year. It was the second highest grossing film of 2003. 
the highest grossing animated film at the time. I, I mean, this thing was a smash success. Everybody knew Finding, ne- Finding Nemo. Everybody. So much so that a bunch of people released their pet clownfish into non-native and, and into non-native locales, resulting in them becoming a pretty big problem as an invasive species. You morons! <laughs> Be nice. No. Invasive species are a huge problem. You upset ecosystems. You 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 do nothing but cause problems when you do this. Their hearts were in the right place. I do not care where their hearts were. I care about the consequences of their actions. Consequences, consequences. Yes, I I knew you would say that. Where do you work again? <laughs> uh, nowhere. I uh, I live off. Uh, not, I live off subsidies. Mark Mark is currently subcontracted out to a prison. Jail. Sorry, jail. Wrong. 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 Really? A jail is not a prison, sir. Okay, what is it? A jail is a jail. Prisons are for the sentenced. Jails are for the non-sentenced, awaiting sentenced, or uh, for those who are seeking to uh, petition the court to reduce their sentence. So there. Yeah, I said jail. I, yeah, I, I corrected, corrected myself after I corrected misspeaking. myself after misspeaking. Alrighty then, you may you may continue. All right. Anyway, the reason I'm glad the movie to get back to my point, that thing could have been rushed. You could have rushed a sequel to that. Pixar was still kind of finding its footing. I mean, it was making quality movies, but this was their first again gigantic financial success. The others had made money. Toy Story made money. Bugs Life made money. Finding Nemo again robbed a bank. I mean, this was massive, massive success. And if the same movie came out last year, we'd already have a sequel in production. Thankfully, it wasn't rushed. They waited until the people involved actually kind of found a story that they wanted to tell. This is not a studio movie. This is a movie made by the same people who have the same world in mind, who have a degree of artistic artistic integrity. And the film is so much better because it was not rushed and manhandled by a studio. So I need to say that up front first and foremost. Yay, they didn't destroy their own movie. Well, I mean, it is Pixar, you know? These guys are batting 999. This is true. The one blemish is Cars 2. The one blemish to you, I keep saying, you know. The one blemish to anyone with a fully developed functional brain. Children love it, it counts. Did you not understand the qualifications I put on on there? Children do not have fully developed functional brains. They don't count. Sure they do. They they buy tickets same as anybody else. They buy tickets same as anybody else. No, their parents buy tickets. Buy tickets. But they do by by extension. They buy them for their children, but if the children did not have access to parents, they wouldn't do it. No one cares about orphaned kids for that same reason. No one's shelling out cash on on their behalf. But you know it got an even worse score, I believe, on Rotten Tomatoes than Cars 2? 
the good dinosaur. I would say that's a, that. I would say that actually is the is the is critically and financially the worst of the Pixar films. Financially, absolutely. I would argue to the death that the good dinosaur is a better film than Cars Two. So sure, we we gave it praise, but the kids didn't like it as much. It wasn't really a kid's it movie. It wasn't really a kid's movie. We're losing the point. <laughs> Let's get back to finding uh, Dory. All right. Uh, anyway, Pixar continues their stellar batting average here. Uh, actually, you know, I, this this movie is part of the reason The Good Dinosaur was as underdeveloped as it was because they swapped release dates for Finding Dory and The Dinosaur in order to give Dory more time in production, which was the correct decision, all things considered. Mm-hmm. I guess they figured there was no saving The Good Dinosaur, so fuck it, just get it out there. Yeah, the, the, the production problems for that movie are relatively well-documented. Yep, we talked about them on this show. We did. All right. Finding Dory as a plot first introduces us to Dory as a small, adorable child. She has... uh, We learn that she has had these memory... Her her short-term memory issues the duration of her life. This is not something that was caused by physical trauma or too much alcohol or marijuana use. She was born this way. And she, being a small child, lost her parents. That how is not revealed at the time. It's revealed a little bit later. But she winds up losing her parents, wandering the ocean for a year, couple of years, looking for people to help her, but she has memory problems and is... And people don't like Dory very much, and she's off-putting. Until she runs, literally, into Marlin, Nemo's dad. Uh, They go off on their grand adventure and become good friends. The film picks up proper a year or so after their meeting. So they've got Nemo is back with his dad. They're living happily on the Great Barrier Reef. And the first convenient jogging of Dory's memory. This is my only gripe with this movie. I, my singular gripe, Dory's memory fading in and out serves the plot in an extraordinarily convenient fashion. Yeah, it, I'll say this with Dory's memory. It's, it, it, it obeys no laws. <laughs> it is amnesia ex machina. I mean, that's kind of how we're going with this. Yeah. It goes away and comes back, and what she's... I mean, theoretically, she shouldn't be able to remember Marlon or Nemo either. Um, but, you know, it just, it sort of just comes and goes when it wants to. And uh, that's not how short term memory loss works. I'm sorry. We have, we have somebody who didn't want to participate in the podcast participating in the podcast. <laughs> I'm know. sorry. Here comes the expert. Here, here comes the, I do have a master's degree in special education. Here comes the wah, 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 wah. No, but I mean, like, I Hang on, let me at least introduce you since you just had to just yell into the podcast from out of nowhere. Ladies and gentlemen, special ed teacher, uh, my wife, Melissa Rattledge. Go ahead. Well, so that's not, long-term memory and short-term memory are two very different things. So short-term memory are those immediate things that you have to recall quickly. 
is en- with enough repetition and exposure, it gets transferred into long-term memory. That is why she can remember Marlon and her parents eventually. The other side of it is those memories get triggered because something similar happens. So her long-term memory gets triggered. So from your vast experience with people with short-term memory loss, would well, you say I that... Well, I memory loss, short-term memory disorders. Short-term memory disorders. Would you say that uh, Dory's short-term memory loss followed it's, as it's it an, should? It's a major exaggeration. Well, isn't that what I just said? No. I said it doesn't. I said it obeys no laws. Yeah, but that's not what you. That's not a. That's different than a major exaggeration. Okay. Are, are you done? Yeah. Interrupting my I'm podcast. I'm going to go back to reading my Disney Cruise notes. For those interested in a slightly more accurate display of integrated short-term memory loss amnesia, I have to recommend Christopher Nolan's film Memento. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a that's a good example. However, right, that, again, that diso- memory disorders are different from full-blown amnesia. There are the human brain is vast and complex, and apparently so is the fish brain. I mean, that's not true in any way, shape, form, or fashion. However, for the purposes of this discussion, anyway, Dory's memory is triggered, and she suddenly remembers that she has parents, that they live in California, and she must find them. She is compelled, you understand. I say that quasi-facetiously, but it's a, it is a completely reasonable response. So she lassos Marlon and Nemo into this adventure. They skip over what I think, you know, they cross the entire Pacific Ocean, going from Australia to, San, what, San Diego? Yes. Yes, yeah, San Diego. The entire Pacific Ocean, they cross on the backs of uh, sea turtles, including uh, Crush from the first film. Skip right over. Biggest la- biggest expanse of space on the uh, contiguous expanse of space on the planet. And we get uh, two minutes of Marlin, ha- uh, Marlin being saved. Anyway, once there, they become separated relatively quickly. Dory is captured by some of the nice volunteers at the Marine Life Institute, which is where she has memories of her parents. She's placed into quarantine, uh, which is what you do with fish that you capture and happen to be expressed. Marlon and Nemo now begin frantically trying to get into the Institute to locate her. She starts trying to figure out if her family's actually in the aquarium or outside. She meets the star of this movie. It is not Ellen DeGeneres. It is Ed O'Neill as the crotchety octopus. You're goddamn right. Ed O'Neill makes this movie. Yeah, Ed O'Neill is just the best. He is this. He is the best part of this entire movie. He gets the best line, which I will talk about later. Uh, anyway, Ed O'Neill does not is about to be released back into the ocean, but he's an octopus with only seven tentacles. So uh, Dory nicknames him a septopus. Get it? Because sept is the prefix for seven. The prefix for seven. Octo for eight. Octo for eight. But he doesn't want to go back into the ocean. He was traumatized by something. He doesn't want to be where kids can poke at him. He wants to get on this uh, truck and join the other animals that are being transferred to the Marine Life Institute in Cleveland, Ohio. 
Why Cleveland, Ohio has a Marine Life Institute is slightly beyond me, but apparently they do. He wishes to go there and live out the remainder of his days in seclusion, peace, isolation, and just general happiness. I sympathize. <laughs> so he uh, he has, he you know concocts a deal with Dory whereby he will help her locate her parents. In return, he gets her tag that marks her as destined for Cleveland, which is a fate worse than death in many ways. However, uh, if you're Hank, it's great, I guess. Uh, the places in, that were in, in this movie, there's nothing wrong with going to Cleveland. Get your own opinions out of this, sir. So it, it was just because it's Cleveland. Cleveland rocks. Eh, no. Do not try to quote Drew Carey at me. Anyway, no, I, I just left that. I'm so very glad you maintain that level of marital harmony. She wants. She wants to know if you knew that Cleveland rocks was a song. Yes, it's the intro. I know Drew Carey uses the intro to his uh, sitcom. Okay. She's from Cleveland, so you're not from there. I live there. Once upon a time, she lived in Cleveland, so ultimately it's the greatest city on earth. That's how this works, okay? Just move on. All right. Uh, Hijinks ensue. Marlon and Nemo meet... Stringer Bell and McNulty in the form of sea lions hanging out on a rock who, are, who also get some good laughs uh, in their attempts oh, to get... Elvis. We were saying Elvis Elba is hysterical. I didn't realize the other one was McNulty. And you, you posted something about the wire earlier. You posted something about the wire earlier and I was like I was like what the hell is he talking about? But um, I remember even my wife was just like, was that Idris Elba as one of the sea lions? I'm like, yes, and we both had a good laugh at that. Yeah, no, no, that's actually yeah, no, Belle no, no. and McNulty reunited as fat sea lions hanging out on a rock. Huh. Well, my goodness, that's, uh, that, that's just best. Not, not Idris Elba, but McNulty. That's McNulty's best work since The Wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a pretty good job as that rapist in that one movie. Then of course there was his uh, the, his role in uh, Money Monster. <clears throat> he was in that. I have blocked <laughs> so much of that from my mind that. Uh... So what happens next, Mister Winfrey? Well, Marlin and Nemo engage in again hijinks eventually to get into the Marine Life Institute, which they do. In the institute, Dory and Hank have a series of misadventures. Hank is apparently amphibious because he breathes out of water just fine. I don't know if there's a thing with octopi where they can just survive without breathing water for extended periods of time. But th- this guy is like fully evolved to breathe both under both water and oxygen. He is the pinnacle of the cephalopods. And... He, again, he and Dory engage in hijinks. Uh, Dory can never quite remember where she's going, so there's jokes about that. He has some camouflage ability because he's a red octopus, and they can actually change color a little bit. I don't think it's to the degree that was displayed here, but you know, we live in a society where cartoon chameleons freak out when they see plaid, so we're just going to kind of roll with it. <laughs> uh, again, 
hijinks. She believes she finds her she finds her old house, but her parents have long since been removed because this is fish. She thinks they're dead because again the uh, the lifespan of the average blue tang is I'm guessing not great. She is briefly reunited with Nemo and Marlin on the truck. That goes badly because she gets knocked out uh, while the octopus Hank tries to both take her tag and, you know, get them out of there in time to avoid being shipped off to Cleveland because they don't want to go. He does. They don't. Uh, She winds up in the, you know, back in the wild and miraculously discovers her parents are alive. They've been, they escaped from the aquarium not once they realize that's where she went and what happened to her as a baby and they've spent the last several years uh laying out seashells for her to follow because as a kid she liked following shells around it was one of the ways that she could avoid getting lost we get the touching reunion we get the biggest we get the big rescue scene where she gets uh again the line of this entire movie goes to Ed O'Neill as they're stealing that truck and he informs the humans to suck at bipeds. <laughs> nice. uh, anyway, they steal back the truck, they drive it off the cliff, back into the ocean, they are all reunited, uh, they all go back to live in the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, never mind the damage done to the local ecosystem again by all of these non-native species that have just been released into that particular part of the world. But I think about these things entirely too much. Yeah, uh, again, the movie ends with Marlin, who's harbored a little bit of maybe resentment, maybe just kind of frustration with Dory because, well, it's frustrating dealing with Ellen DeGeneres. And he comes to just come to accept Dory. Uh, she's reunited with her parents. Again, Hank takes over as a substitute teacher at the local fish school. And we all live happily ever after. All right. Let me uh, first. Before... I had... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say before you and I... I really get into this, uh, we have a caller. Do you want to go ahead and take that? Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Hang on. Hang on. Area right. code 516, Strong Island, represents. Long Island, Mineola, bro. <laughs> um, nice. Not too far from where I used to live. Oh, for real? I I, yeah. I haven't I haven't actually seen the movie, so um, I was more on Finding Nemo, and I like the movie talk, so I'm just listening for this part or portion. Okay, I'll go ahead and put you back on mute. Okay. Yeah, but if you guys yeah, break into any other movies. Time. I'm here. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll we'll bring you back. Okay. Um, my first big belly laugh of this movie. I mean, I enjoyed the whole thing. It was a little distracting because we had my kids there. Um, I can't really do the bit where I ask or you know where I say, "Well, this is what my daughter thought," because I honestly forgot to ask her. Um, I mean, she liked the movie. That's, she she just feels so Um, but we had my son with us, and my wife can attest to this that both of us were not entirely able to watch the movie because we were too busy trying to. Get him to sit in this goddamn seat. Um, my, my son oh, so that was to, you behind me. <laughs> my son, unfortunately, 
has about a 15-minute attention span, and it was used up in the trailers. And so by the time we got to the movie, he said, I don't care anymore. And would proceed to just kind of – he was he was quiet, but he would get up and he would walk around. And at one point, I think he fell down the stairs. <laughs> um, and then he resorted to standing in his seat and doing, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> as loud as he possibly could, and me going for the love of God, stop talking. Um, so yeah, a little tough there. I think uh, I can say this. Lily, however, liked the whale shark character, um, Destiny. Yeah, I think that was her big takeaway from the movie was she liked the character Destiny. However, her dear old dad, my favorite part of the movie, and where I got the biggest belly laugh. Um, where, you know, tears streaming out of my eyes, I was laughing so hard, was when they, was I knew they were going to drive the truck off the cliff. I saw that coming a mile away. There was no other way for them to end this movie. But I was not expecting, and maybe you can remember what the original um, bit they're pulling this from is, reference, but as soon as they broke into What a Wonderful World, I couldn't contain myself. I was laughing, I was laughing pretty hard. And I knew that's a reference to something else. And it's been referenced a few times, but I don't remember where the original, I guess, something going off a cliff and there being a, uh, uh, they're, them playing What a Wonderful World. Do you have any clue? Not a clue, but uh, I'll take your word for it that it's from something else original. Uh, I, I honestly, uh, I don't know what that stems from originally. I will have to look that up now, see if I can find it. In any case, I thought that was pretty good. I did, I did not expect what a wonderful world. And so, <laughs> and so I had a good laugh at that. Um, but overall, I really liked the movie. Um, I think I preferred it to Finding Nemo. I thought Ellen, Ellen doesn't really have, an, have a character arc as such. Um, and this is something I want to get into really quickly. Um, if my wife decides to pipe in again, she's you know, certainly able to. But one of, the, one of the conversation starters that came out of this movie was that this wasn't so much a, about a character sort of getting from A to, a to Z um, t- as you would in a, in, a, in a typical movie, so much as it was about how to deal with a child with a developmental disability. And therein lies her art. You know, it's it's she goes from you know her. It, I, I I don't even know if it's an arc as such, but it's just an hour and a half of her struggling with this disability and trying to get around it. And you know, she ha- she has a goal to get to, but it's obstructed uh, by the fact that she can't remember enough details to you know move forward in any kind of linear fashion. And so all these other detours have uh, happen, but. The flashbacks were the really interesting part to my wife and I of the parents hope, you know, realizing they have a child with a disability um, and being able to engage that child with a disability and then coming up with, um, what's the the word uh, that you get? Accommodations. Accommodations so that child can then participate in um, regular society. And all of that stuff was there. And one of the things we said was, if any, you know, you know, teachers or people who deal with children want to show a movie about how you too can succeed even if you've got some sort of a disability, this is a great one to show them because that's the movie in a, in a nutshell. But regardless of Ellen, 
um, and that character and, you know, dealing with the short-term memory loss and all of that. I thought Albert Brooks, Brooks's arc was good, too. He had an arc himself, you know, where he's still struggling with the, the sea. Will, the sea is constantly trying to kill him. Um, and being able to sort of let go and uh, have trust and enjoy life. Because I don't know if he necessarily gets there in Finding Nemo. In Finding Nemo, it was about him trying to find his son. Um, he doesn't, I don't know if he necessarily has a personal arc other than, um, being brave enough to, being brave enough to go after his son with all of these dangers. There's a bit of an arc, he has an arc in Finding Nemo where, and he learns that, you know, you can't be a helicopter parent is one of his kind of Mm -hmm. big thing there is letting go of elements of that control and that fear and paranoia. I thought this was a continuation on that then where it deals a little bit more into it and he comes off he comes across as um more evolved by the end of this movie uh a lot in a lot of ways at the behest of his son who's like jesus why won't you let go a little bit more why won't you why won't you trust uh so i think between the albert brooks character marlin and ellen i think you have very two very strong central characters uh that are engaging and really take you through this movie. Now they're supported. They're supported by some of the funniest characters I've seen in an animated movie in a long time, even in a regular like comedy. The, as we talked about, Ildris Elba as the sea lion is hysterical. Ed O'Neill is a tour de force as the octopus. Um, the scenes with uh, the the uh, the scene the flashback scenes with the parents are very engaging. And of course, you know, as everyone says, the star of this movie is Baby Dory. So, um, well, she's clearly the cutest. Yeah, by far. Um, and and that's really it. I mean, I don't think I had any problems with the movie. I think structurally it was all very sound. Um, I was engaged throughout the entire hour and some odd you know minutes of the movie, and it's a gorgeous looking movie. I mean, the one thing we said about the good dinosaur was the best thing about it was how it looks, and I think finding Dory is still even more an improvement on the photorealistic animation that Pixar uses. It might as well have been right in the water with them. The only things that ever look weird, and I had the same problem with Inside Out, is the human characters always look way too, way too cartoony. Like, I could, I could be convinced by looking at, you know, The Good Dinosaur or Finding Dory that these are real animals until you see the humans and you're like, oh, no, this is an animated film. <laughs> Human beings don't look like that. Everything is always too rounded with the humans. So that's not even a complaint, just an observation. But uh, like I said, overall, there, were, there was nothing really boring about it. I think, it. I think it flowed from one scene to the next. And all the character acting and voice work was spot on. Yeah, I again, my biggest gripe is Dory's amnesia occurring in extremely convenient ways for the plot to continue unfolding. Shut up! You're going to upset my wife again. Well, I don't care. I don't live with her. (laughs) That's okay. Apparently she wasn't listening. I understand that memory and the mind and it's a very mercurial thing. It's not set in stone. I, I understand I'm prepared to have leeway granted. 
I just really, again, it unfolded a little too convenient to the overall structure of the film. I would have preferred, like, she'd be on her own at one point and just remember everything but have no ability to act on it. Well, I'll tell you, um, a very intense part of the movie for me was when she finally ends up back in the ocean and she's alone again. And you don't know. And I honestly didn't know. I, I, I had forgotten about the shell thing or what the relevance of the shells would be. So it didn't occur to me at the time. And maybe, you know, you picked it up faster than I did, but that she would see shells and start to follow the shells and those shells will be back to her parents. Cause I had a very much an aha moment when it, when it started to all connect, but I'll tell you those few, those few fleeting moments when she is alone and she doesn't see shells she doesn't know what to do, and she doesn't remember what she's doing. I thought it was pretty scary. You know, it's 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 to have that sort of fear of I don't know what to do next, and I don't have anyone to help me. I think that's a very tangible, uh, realistic fear, and I felt for the character, and I thought the animators did a very good job of conveying that on the character. Yeah, I agree. It, uh, I wasn't worried for the character because I know entirely too much and I know that nothing bad is going to happen in that sense. This is a kid's movie. Oh, of course. But you however, don't, you however, don't however, I had no idea how they were going to fix the dilemma they had placed. That, you know, frequently, with kids' movies, the setup, the, you know, the the peril and then the solution to the peril are evident early if you think about it as a film. And I can never stop thinking about these movies by and large. I was going to say, I mean, you, you, you wanted to make your point, so I shut up, but you don't ever just go to sit in the moment of the movie and let, and let, let the movie sort of unfold without thinking too much already. You know, you don't, you don't allow yourself to just sort of stop thinking. No, uh, my brain does not turn off. Okay. Mine does. I know. I, I, and and, and uh, honestly, that's become a learned technique. I have, because I, I used to think through the movie and try to guess what was going to happen next. And, you know, just, I, I've just come to a point in my life where I don't want to do that anymore. And I have the ability, so, so, so I can do it. Um, you know, obviously, if you can't, you can't. But I, I can very easily just turn everything. You know what it is? Uh, I walk through a mod, and there's guys screaming, "I'm gonna kill you!" And you know, fat ass, why don't you lose some weight? And hey, doc, come here, I need meds. And you know, there's just people. I'm used to people screaming at me as I walk through a building, and I have learned to be able to disconnect from all of it. it it's how I'm able to do my job. So, <laughs> um, you know, my my ability to selectively ignore my environment and focus on uh, something directly in front of me. So I think it's, so it's become a learned technique and I can apply it when I'm in the movies. Does that make sense? Okay. No, I, I especially can't do it if I know I have to review it. Because mm-hmm. if I'm not, if I don't pay attention to the film, I will come out with like three words and that's a terrible review. <laughs> well, you, then you'd be like the paid reviewers. Uh-huh. First of all, we should acknowledge you cherry pick the ones that not only are going to annoy me, but 
they are also like it's clear that whoever selects the blurbs that go under there they go next to their bylines to get you to click and read the entire review are deliberately trying to be provocative. Mm. Um, all right. So do we have anything bad to say about the movie? I mean, let's, let's go down the line here. Ellen DeGeneres' story. Did you, I mean, I know you're not a huge fan of her. I am. I enjoy her stand up. I happen to, I, I don't, I don't care about some of the personal stuff that, that she's gone through. I mean, unless she's Bill Cosby at this point, who gives a shit? Um, but I thought she, you know, you had said that in Finding Nemo, uh, she comes across, a, a, you know, to the Marlin character as grating. And even in the beginning of this one, she's off-putting was the, it's the phrase you used. Um, in any case, I thought Ellen DeGeneres did not overplay the character. I thought she handled the character well. I thought the character was still an interesting one and a charming one and one that uh, that we root for. What were your thoughts on her performance? Well, when I say the char- I mean the character is off-putting. Dealing with people who have issues like that is, uh, again, is weird if you're not used to it. And, you know, clearly mo- most of the people in her sphere at the beginning of this movie are a little more used to her and her, you know, quirks and her issues. But as a general rule, you know, to the average person, you meet someone with that kind of memory issue. It's a little off-putting, and you just kind of like look for the nearest exit as quickly as you possibly can, provided there's no immediate danger to any party. I, I intended that as a compliment for the writing and the way it was portrayed. I have no issue with Ellen DeGeneres' portrayal. I don't care for Ellen's stand-up or, you know, anything like that. But in this instance, as this character, I have nothing negative to say. Um, Albert Brooks and his reprisal is Marlon. Uh, let me say, let me say this for that character. They don't go nearly as far enough to get to the point where I start to get annoyed, but I can see where Nemo was coming from when he got fed up with his father. He, he is a bit of a, a bit of ant at a picnic for a lot of the movie. And I'm glad they recognized that and they gave him an arc where he gets over it and is able to evolve. Boy, was he getting annoying. I would have so much preferred that there'd be a scene where his stop, actually think things through, would have worked out. Because as it stands, it comes across a bit as, you know, caution and forethought and planning are useless attributes. And boy, we should all just charge straight forward into whatever come you know, and damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. You know, I uh, my D and D nickname was uh, was uh, Bait McTrapspringer for just that reason. Why does that not surprise me in the least? <laughs> head, tuck chin, tilt head, run forward. That was my motto. Yeah, your your D your uh, your DM must have been so happy with you so frequently. Oh, yeah. The very first time I played D&D, I annoyed the shit out of one of the guys I was playing with, because I'm pretty sure I caused him to lose most of his armor and his weapons with my antics. And then because I didn't understand how the game worked, I said, why don't we just reset and start all over again? And they all looked at you. I imagine now the head slowly turning with these looks of absolute horror around the table. Yeah. 
you know, I I, I would get it uh, a little uh, after some time, but that those first couple of times playing D and D, I annoyed quite a few people. Um, all right, so Ed O'Neill, we we talked about as sort of the star of this thing. The best. Ed O'Neill is great. I enjoy him a Modern Family. I loved him on Married with Children. He plays a great cranky old man. Um, I'm gonna get fucking bipeds tattooed on me somewhere. <laughs> right across your forehead? No, that's stupid. That's stupid. Across your neck? You hardcore? No. Um, but yeah, he uh, and and really that whole sequence when he's driving, <laughs> driving the truck. I was I was wildly amused by. But uh yeah, he he is the glue that holds this movie together. Without him you don't have a movie. Uh really. It's just the characters are, are are stuck in too many ways. And that was one of the things that really I was talking to Melissa about this. One of the things that I noticed is Pixar does a really, really good job with you know, with fish and toys and and um and and characters where they can't the world is too big. They are little they are little itty bitty things and the world is too big and their destination is too great and yet they are able to overcome and bridge those distances. You know, when like how 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 do two clownfish get from the sea into this institute? You know, they have they <laughs> they have a bird and a bucket and you know they and they create these obstacles that are insane, you know, but these are also you know, cognizant talking fish here. So who cares? Um, but it, Pixar knows about where the lines are, where, you know, we, we're asking you to suspend a, a bit of dis, uh, disbelief in order to enter this world, but they never go so far out of it that you're taken out of the movie. And even they have the thought of, you know, a tang fish and an octopus driving a truck, which sounds ridiculously unbelievable. Well, first you must accept that these things are, you know, can talk and can form a plan. And then after that, why can't he drive the truck? It's not like he drove it well. It wasn't like, you know, they went from driving the truck to, you know, and he wins the, uh, he wins a NASCAR race or anything. You know, he, he did exactly what he should have done, which is crash the thing left and right and finally drove it into the sea. Um, but yeah, he, but he is definitely holding the movie in many ways on his broad shoulders and was, was a joy to watch. And he's really, and, and, and I wanted to make sure we talked about that. Um, I'll give me your thoughts there on uh, Mr. Ed O'Neill. Best part of the movie, unequivocally. He got the best laughs, at least out of my showing generally. He looks, I think he has one of the best animation profiles. Now the character does. The way he moves, the way he, the way he splats onto the windshield to get the humans to freak out and stop the truck. Uh, no, he is, again, he is the best thing about this movie. We talked before about, you know, this is a great movie that deals with developmental disability. And I never really got your opinion on that because then we started talking about something else. But what is your opinion on that? I generally agree with your assessment. You deal with people more than I do. I will bow to your superior experience level in this particular instance and agree with you. All right. Um, I really don't have a whole lot of, that's the problem when we find movies that are really good. We don't have a tremendous amount more, we don't have a tremendous amount to say about them. So I'm going to uh, sort of defer to you here and say, do you have any burning desires? If not, let's talk about the money. 
Uh, again, the reun- uh, reuniting McNulty and Stringer Bell on a rock where they dream about laying down on the rock. Uh, <laughs> keep you up those, one guy to get off the rock. Those two, I I got a kick out of those two because yeah, then you know Gerald shows up and wants to be on the rock with them, and nope, nope, hey, 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 and then oh wait, we need his bucket, Jerry. Come on, <laughs> give us your pail. We'll let you sit on the rock. Yeah, come on. There, yeah. There you go. That's a nice rock, isn't it? Time's up. Oh. <laughs> they were pleasantly mean to him. Well, the uh, I've seen enough documentaries and stuff on sea lions that you know you get two on a on a rock or you know two or three, and they're just kind of lounging and they're happy, and then for some reason they just decide, no, this is enough for this rock. And you are not getting on. <laughs> uh, the I bird, like I got a couple of laughs. As I like how Pixar made it a point to make sure they got correct animal behavior in their animated feature where they talk. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, appreciate the, that. the details that they <laughs> add to stuff like and the otters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were just there to create a traffic jam, but. Let's be fair. If we saw a bunch of otters engaged in a cuddle party on the side of the road, you're probably stopping. That's the society we live in. It was it was in many ways a a remark about society. You know, just the just the term cuddle party and in and of itself, which I found even highly though, amusing. Even though otters are relatively vicious carnivores. You mean like Emmett Otterton? I don't understand your reference. Emmett Otterton. From Zootopia. He of the jug band fame? No. Zootopia. The vicious vicious, uh, carnivore. Yes, guys. Otters may be cute, and they may have family units, and we might, you know, all of that is true. They are carnivores. They eat other living things. They eat fish. They eat scallops. They eat whatever they can get their little paws around and break open. They will devour its flesh. Yeah, as we saw in Zootopia. And I just need that. I just need to say, you know, if you throw a blue tang at an otter, it's going to eat it. Anyway, Um, with that bit of reality shattering your (laughs) preconceived notions. Okay. Anything else? Oh, do I have anything else? No, I don't think I do. Uh, other than, I will say this very briefly. I don't think there's room for a third movie. And I really hope that since we're about to talk about the money, we don't get something stupid shoehorned in just because of money. Well, I don't know. Well, can we, before we jump into this, can we talk about that for a second? Because I didn't think there was anywhere to go after Toy Story 3. It ended perfectly. There was no more, there was nothing left to tell. They only went off to college, gave his toys to Bonnie. They've since done little shorts with Bonnie and, and the toys, but whatever, I can live with that. But as far as a big feature, we're still getting Toy Story 4. I know. I, I cannot tell you how irrationally angry I got over that. <laughs> we're getting Cars 3 We're getting Toy Story I 4 care. 
I don't care about cars. I didn't care for the first one. The second one is a soulless cash grab designed to exploit the modicum of fame Larry the Cable Guy had at that point in time. And is, quite frankly, borderline intellectually revolting. <laughs> so, we'll see. I mean, that's the problem. This thing is already broken records. Well, all right, hang on. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. money. <laughs> Hit it right that time. All right. On a production budget of about $200 million, according to Wikipedia, this movie has already made $205.3 million. It did $154 million domestic and $50 million foreign, which brings this worldwide, as I said, to 205. Um, it uh, had an animated box office record of $136 million opening. Um, it's four-day total compared to Shrek the Third, which originally, which was originally uh, had the title um, 154 to 132. So Finding Dory right now is the... Uh, the top leading uh, animated film, and it's on track probably to uh, make a billion dollars, just as Zootopia did. So, how do you not do a sequel? Well, again, if you're a Disney, if you're a Disney executive, you're a Disney you executive, shut up and stay out of Pixar's way as much as humanly possible. You're not realistic. I fail to see why that's unrealistic. Look, these guys do nothing but make you money. There is one movie in their entire pantheon of big-budget releases that did not succeed financially. One. This is a proper, This is a group that you own that is just going to make you money, and they make more money the more you stay out of their way. I fail to see why that's un, an unrealistic expectation. It's just well, they can stay out of their way. Well, they can stay out of their way and still say, "Hey, we'd like you to do." Um, I mean, look, Disney's already said they want more. Uh, they want more franchises, so they're turning certain certain new features into franchises, whether they needed, you know, whether they lended themselves to it or not. That's why we're also getting another Incredibles movie, though that lends itself more to a sequel than maybe some of these other ones do, but. I'm telling you right now, something's going to, you know, the next one's going to be finding Hank <laughs> or some crazy thing. It'll probably be finding Marlin after he develops dementia in his old age. Maybe. They're going to find somebody. Um, uh, and- or, find, or better yet, finding Nemo too. This time, you know, now Nemo's all grown up. This but something time happens it's personal. <laughs> Finding Nemo 2, The Revenge. Setting up Finding Nemo in space. So, uh, worldwide, right now, uh, Finding Nemo is... Let's see, where is Finding Nemo? Uh, Sorry, Finding Dory is number 13 for the year. It's between Alice through the Looking Glass and London Has Fallen. Oh, this thing is going nowhere but up. Um, so right now we've got Captain America still over a billion dollars. Oh, you know, why, 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 something under. 
Um, Zootopia, Jungle Book, which hasn't quite made a billion, but it's close, at $923 million. Uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Deadpool. So right now, the uh, top five movies of the year, three of them are comic books, three of them are Disney, um, and one of them is animated. Uh, and no, and all of them are, uh, and the top three movies of the year are all uh, Buena Vista, you know, Disney movies. So they are on, Disney's on track to win the year once again. Oh, There's it's not even no going to be close. Uh, We've still got Doctor it, Strange and a Star Wars movie this year. Not going to yeah. be close. Rounding out the top ten, we've got uh, from Sony, uh, The Mermaid, which was a foreign film out of uh, China. Kung Fu Panda still hanging in there, man. $518 million. Uh, so it's still up there. X-Men Apocalypse is at number eight. Monster Hunt, another foreign film, is at number nine. And rounding out the top ten, because thank you, China, Warcraft. And then we have Angry Birds, Alice, and Finding Dory. So, yeah, it's got nowhere to go but up. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it as summer progresses. But uh, I would imagine it's going to enter the top five at some point and knock out uh, Deadpool or Batman v Superman. I'm going to laugh, Mark. When this movie fails to surpass Minions' global take, and you have another conniption. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm done having conniptions. No, you're <laughs> not. You won't have a conniption over that, but you're not done by any stretch of the imagination. My wife is making me go see Big Fat Greek Wedding, too. I'm sorry. We are, uh, we're going to go see the... Um, and we'll see how this one does versus Finding Dory. But The Secret Life of Pets, which came from the same studio as Minions and Despicable Me, yeah. uh, the, it'd be part of a double feature at the drive-in. Um, and the second feature is, big, is my Big Fat Greek Wedding too. And so I'm, I'm a good husband. For... Yeah, yeah. You suffer. I know. <laughs> Go on. Can you tell which of us is single? <laughs> Listeners, can, can you? Well, I think it's fairly obvious since things like constantly reference a wife and unless I'm imagining things. Am I imagining things? No, I'm real. There we go. Either that or an extraordinarily clever fabrication. And I'm not ruling that out. Shut up. Um, So domestic, where domestic, it's the the number six movie in America. $54 million opening day. Let's compare that to to this year um, movies that have made $54 million or less currently are in America at least are Neighbors 2 Barbershop The Next Cut uh, 13 Hours The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi and The Huntsman's Winter's War which made between 54 and $48 million yeah, that's their opening weekend. This had $54 million in one day. Yeah. So, so let's compare that to, say, Warcraft, who at this point in the United States has made only $39 million. One day. This Again, Pixar can basically do no wrong. Uh, it, yeah, this thing's going to be a huge hit. It will make nearly a billion dollars. 
uh, I mean, you know, again, Pixar just when they're kind of left to their own devices, they make quality films that make tons of cash. They're the best of both worlds. A couple of showdowns. Um, we talked about its four-day, um, its four-day battle with uh, Shrek the Third, top-grossing animated release. Oh, piss on Shrek the Third! Against its predecessor, Finding Nemo, in four days that had made seventy-seven million dollars. This made twice that. Yeah, Finding Nemo was not a big hit right out of the gate, but. It's after it's it stuck around for a long time, and it, Finding Nemo kept building. You know, nowadays a lot of box office hits are front loaded. You make your money in those first two weeks, or you don't make it. Finding Nemo stuck around in theaters for four or five months. I mean, the the thing just it just kept making money. So let's talk a little bit about the domestic uh, weekend. Finding Dory. Uh, Came in at number one at 135 million. Smashed again, domestic. Smashed, smashed the rest of the movies out. Um, Central Intelligence, starring your friend and mine, The Rock, and uh, Kevin Hart, came in at 35 million. The Conjuring 2, which came out last week and won the weekend, and won it ahead of Warcraft and Now You See Me 2, came in um, at number three at 14 million. Like I said, it was the number one movie last week. It has dropped to number three with a $14 million take and a 63% drop. Uh, now You See Me 2 was a number three movie last weekend. It is now number four. That came uh, the in Conjuring at, uh, 2 has already made its money. It's made almost $200 million worldwide and had a budget of only $40 million. Um, Warcraft was the number two movie last week. It has dropped to number five. The 70% drop, it made $7 million. Yeah, it, yeah it's not domestically we do not domestically we do not care for Warcraft, but the Chinese love it. No, it's getting a, it's getting a sequel and will probably be shot across the seas based on the foreign audience. Uh, X Men dropped one place from number five to number six and made about five million dollars. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two uh, was the number four movie. It drops to number seven with a five million dollar take. It's about five million last. too much. Alice with the Looking Glass in its fourth week has stayed the same in eighth place with its $4 million take. Uh, and rounding out the top ten, Me Before You made almost $4 million, came in, um, dropped from six to nine. And Captain America is still within the top ten. It drops from number nine to number ten this week with a $2 million take. And is currently sitting at uh, domestic $401 million and foreign $743 million for a $1 billion, $144 million take. So it's uh, it's still the one to beat. I'm not sure anything's going to beat it at this point. Well, um, looking at what's coming down the pike, we've got Independence Day, so no. <laughs> That's this Friday. Uh, the week after that is the, big, is the BFG, Big Friendly Giant, which my wife wants to go see. But the movie we'll be reviewing is The Legend of Tarzan, and neither one of those is being it. Um, <sighs> Secret Life of Pets. Tarzan's going to be maybe. lucky to break even. Mm. The Secret Life of Pets is a big maybe. I mean, millions made over a billion dollars last year, much to my chagrin, so we'll see what happens. Um, 
And then we're taking a break. Every dollar that it made. Um, I don't have anything listed. No, wait, hang on. Ah, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters will be will will probably uh, make a billion dollars, as I've said all along. Ghostbusters. I am really utilizing Ghostbusters as the litmus test for all you people out there. Can I tell you that ahead of of the Finding Nemo, Finding Dory movie was a trailer for Ghostbusters? Yeah, I know. And my daughter got very excited. My daughter got very excited. She was super excited, Robert Winfrey. She can't wait to see the new Ghostbusters movie. You could probably jingle your keys and still get your daughter to pay attention. I, I don't care. You I care about the quality of the product. <laughs> so Ghostbusters is probably the leading contender right now the next few weeks to beat Civil War, and I predict it will. Uh, I, I really hope you're wrong. I really do. I, I, am, I acknowledge the gross probability that you are correct. I'm telling you, they've heavily marketed it towards children. It's been every children's movie that I've seen so far. There's been a trailer for, and something we saw recently. There were like two commercials for Ghostbusters. I was like, okay, there's no way they're not gearing this towards kids at this point. Um, Star Trek Beyond's not gonna make a billion dollars. Neither is the new Jason Bourne movie. Nope. Um, Suicide Squad. That's kind of Deadpool's. Suicide Squad desperately needs to be a good movie. It will have a good opening weekend regardless because people are stupid. But if that movie sucks, no one's seeing it a second time. Well, if you let me make my point, Suicide Squad might may benefit from a being a good movie, b having really good um, what do you call it? uh, You know, people telling other people about it. Um, Word Word of mouth. Thank you. I got it. Word of mouth. Um, if much like Deadpool, if it becomes a thing, it becomes you know, it becomes a cultural thing. People will will go see it. Um, it it's it's like I said, you're absolutely right. If it's if it's bad, it's going to get terrible word of mouth and it's going to sink. However, um, if it has good word of mouth, I think Suicide Squad can be one of the top five movies of the year. I think it's got. Now that let's kind of also potential. consider all the people involved with Suicide Squad and. Extrapolate the probability of it being a good movie. And then finally, we have Pete's Dragon. That's not making a billion dollars. That. And then I um, saw a trailer for that finally in front of this movie. Yeah, no. (laughs) August twenty fourth is our summer wrap up show, Um, and so the only other movie left for the year that has that has now. I mean, just to, to that point. We are going to continue to review movies, just not every week, number one. We're taking an extended break until the end of September when we come back with Magnificent Seven. Um, but my oh, point well, is with all of Why did you have and, to remind me about the existence of that? Because you're the one that put it on the list, sir. I did um, not put it on the list. Yeah, you did. You're the one that suggested the Magnificent Seven. I didn't have it on the list originally. Uh, that's probably true, and I regret it, because uh, you're trying to remake one of the, uh, functionally two of the best movies ever. So, um, the rest of the world has, the rest of the year has Underworld 5, Inferno, Doctor Strange, Fantastic Beasts, and Where to Find Them, which, depending if people, 
if, if, if people are reminded, hey, it's a Harry Potter film, sort of, um, you know, that might get an audience. Then you have Moana, which has The Rock, and it's another princess movie. So, you know, that may, that, that, that'll probably get to a billion. Um, Moana's got an outside chance. And then, of course, there's Star Wars Rogue One, which, you know, which will probably also... Um, uh, I don't think I, I've got billion. some reservations now after hearing about studio interference, but it's Star Wars and you people are fanatical about it, so maybe. What do you mean, you people? No, um... I mean, you people, Star Wars fanatics, you people. I'm sorry, so, I know, can I not be uh, more clear about this? So what we're saying here is that you've got two movies already in the billions, both, you know, one of them Civil War, the other one's Utopia. There's, last year we had five movies in the billions. It was, um, you had Star Wars, that made $2 billion. You had Avengers, you had Minions. You had uh, The Fast and the Furious, which had the death of Paul Walker involved in that. What was the fifth one? Do you remember? Oh, Jurassic World. Jurassic World. Yo, boy, people love them some Jurassic World. Yay, uh, we yeah, love cover at... songs. <laughs> <laughs> so you had five movies last year. All of them were not, not an original one in the bunch. I mean, Minions was an offshoot of Despicable Me. An offshoot of Despicable Me. You had, a fun- you had two functional remakes. Um, uh, a seventh yeah. entry into a franchise. And then, you, yeah, and then you had a comic book movie. So, uh, yeah. This year is struggling to, uh, to get to where last year got to by far. I mean, just the top ten alone. You had two movies. You had, you know, five movies in the billions. Two in the eight hundred millions, three in the six hundred millions, um, and the, you know, and that was that last one there was the Martian. So to to get into the top ten, you had to get above uh, six hundred and thirty million dollars. This year, right now, to get into the top ten, you have to get past uh, three hundred and seventy nine million. Yeah, it's, it's, we're not doing well here. Well, to be fair, we're also just crossing the halfway point of the year here. And a couple of those movies that we mentioned from last year did not come out until the latter half. So, I mean, I, I'm not seeing it this year, but I acknowledge the possibility that you know, there's not enough data to reach a definitive conclusion. Rather, a set, rather enough to make an, an educated guess. Right. All right. We come to our third part of the show. Uh, uh, have we? <laughs> so... Uh, are you excited to hear what the good folks over at Rotten Tomatoes thought, Robert? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 I hit the button. All right, let's do this. All right, I'm only reading the rotten ones because at this point, if you thought this movie was bad, there's something there's something wrong with you. Jay Olsen from Cinema Mixtape. Intermittently cute and nothing more. Well, I don't oh, think Oh, what matters. a crock. Minions was intermittently cute and nothing more. And I loved Minions, mind you. That is a gross exaggeration. That is a, That is fundamentally un 
true. You have typed something and put it out on the air with your name next to it that is just untrue. And sadly, we do not live in a society where you will be held culpable for that. Matthew Lacona, the San Diego reader, who's a top critic, says, Directors Andrew Stanton and Angus McLean make it very clear what you are supposed to feel, and when you are supposed to feel it, what they don't do is earn it, and gave it a one out of five. You piece of shit. <laughs> okay, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know what happened to this particular individual in their childhood that led them to be so jaundiced and jaded and emotionally closed off. I actually feel pity for this sad sack. You, sir, are the Theodore Buckland of movie reviews. Yes, the movie makes it clear when it's tugging at your emotions. No kidding. This is not a movie that relies on subtlety. Here's the thing. If it didn't earn it, the vast majority of people wouldn't feel anything. There's cheap emotional manipulation, which is one thing that I I dislike because it's cheap. It's easy. Any any dumbass can do it. But it also leaves a really unpleasant aftertaste and generally does not affect everyone the same way. If this was unearned emotion – then who? Then the vast majority would not be feeling anything. They'd simply be rolling their eyes at it. The fact that you fall into this sad minority who feel nothing uh, when dealing with, a, with this movie simply means you are an emotionally traumatized and closed-off individual, and I feel sorry for you. Please seek professional help. <laughs> Craig Matheson of the Sunday Age. Dory can fritto away your interest, and the prominence also exposes the limitations of DeGeneres as a voice actor. Daffy Blather is a cinch for the talk show host, but she absolutely milks any attempt at pathos. This person knows big words. I said earlier, Ellen DeGeneres does a fine job of conveying emotion, of conveying the real struggle with one's own mind. Um, It comes close to approaching somebody dealing with a... um, a mental health issue. Um, oh, what did I just see recent? Oh, Orange is the New Black also recently you know, had a, has a character who's hearing voices, and the car- and the gay actor does a who looks a lot like Alan DeGeneres, oddly enough, um, does an absolutely outstanding job of somebody who's really wrestling with all of that. So I don't think that's fair at all. If your complaint is that Ellen DeGeneres is just basically showing up being Ellen DeGeneres, fine. Somewhat valid criticism. There's not a lot of range to her vocals. Uh, but pretending that there's not you know, a, a depth of emotion to the character that is portrayed from her is simply, again, fundamentally untrue. Louise Keller of Urban Cinephile says, it's bright and colorful, the throng of ultra-cute marine characters, but the film is a pale imitation of its precursor, Finding Nemo, never replicating its magic or touching our heartstrings. Okay, even my um, wife looked at, looked at skew on that one. Two things about that. One, if you are just going to compare this apples to apples to Finding Nemo, no. It is not as good on several levels. 
Okay, I, I disagree. I thought this one was better. Disagree with me all you want. I'm right on this. Hang on, let me make my point. <laughs> Failing to live up to a nearly flawless film is an impossible standard of excellence. And while being a sequel, it invites that comparison, one also has to consider how it compares not only to its predecessor, but to the average film dealing with a similar material. And it's vastly superior. This is not, again, Nemo, Finding Nemo is 9 out of 10, nine and a half out of 10. This is, you know, 8.5. At what point does that make it bad? It is uh, no look again. If we're doing one to one, if you can only watch Finding Nemo and Finding Dory for the rest of your life, sure, Nemo's better. Godfather Part Two is better than Godfather Part One. Uh, Can I, it, I don't know. I don't know by what measuring stick you're saying it's better, and I don't want to get into a huge argument when we're about to show, close the show shortly, but. I find I found Nemo to be a road picture. Well, this one, um, I, I thought its heroine was a compelling character, and I I felt more. You know, you feel for Albert for the Albert Brooks character because he's missing his child. You know, we just have this situation here in in, in Florida where you know, we're debating the merits of parenting in the case of a child being being uh, taken by an alligator at uh, the Grand Floridian. But and I don't want to get into that either. But um, you know, yeah, sure. We, you know, the, the thought of having a child and then losing a child and doing, you know, going to the ends of the earth to save that child. Okay, yeah, that 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 takes us on an emotional roller coaster. But that's what that. But to me, that's what Finding Nemo was. It was a road picture, and it was about a guy, you know, going after his son. Where this is less a road picture and more about Dor- Dory's internal struggle. You know, she's she has a goal. She wants to find her parents. But it really is more of she's trying to be whole. She's trying to find that missing part of self. Well, well, internally, it is herself making life harder for her. You know, in the, in that her memory is constantly giving out on her. I find that to be much more rich and compelling than just a road movie. Personally, I would advise you to rewatch Finding Nemo. I just did. Really? When? Watched it with my kids. Uh, yeah, when? Last week. Last week. Okay. <laughs> Real Sorry, briefly. The, 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 the scenes with me go on forever. I was almost bored. Yeah, the prison break from the dentist aquarium, a little bit overdrawn. I, I generally found... Scene. I generally found Albert Brooks's character to be more interesting than Dory's in this movie. I found the the sub characters in Finding Nemo to be a little bit. Uh, if we remove Ed O'Neill from the equation from this movie, these uh, the supporting cast is not as strong in a lot of ways. No, it's a lot of gags. I'll give you that. But I thought there were a lot of gags in Nemo, too. But the sharks were a gag. The sharks were a gag. They were at least a funny gag. 
Okay, so in this one, you replace the sharks with sea lions, but you also have, you know, helpful, you know, helpful people who also have their own little victories, like Destiny and uh, and Ty Burrell's character. Who I thought, you know, as a beluga whale who, you know, who can't get his echo scope to work, uh, I thought that, I thought he was hilarious as well. I found him tiring. Okay. Todd McCarthy of The Hollywood Reporter, top critic, says, It's heroin may suffer from short-term memory loss, but viewers with any memory at all will realize that Finding Dory uh, falls rather short of its wondrous progenitor. We already talked about that. I'm moving on. Sean Byrne. Yeah, it falls falls short of a nearly perfect movie. I fail to see why that's legitimate criticism. Uh, Sean Burns, Fleiss personality. Perhaps it's because I'm a soulless husk of a man dead inside, but the Pixar formula just isn't cutting it for me anymore. Walk into traffic, sir. Uh, I will accept your – I will accept predicating your argument on you being a soulless husk of a man. <laughs> um, uh, I will say this, and, and real briefly, as it pertains to Pixar as a whole. Not every movie is going to affect everyone emotionally the same way. This one did not tug at my heartstrings nearly as much as several other Pixar movies have. Not and nothing, similarly to what? other people, it will. You know, it's... Hey, no, 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 no. Let, let me say this. Not for fucking nothing. But if I go to one more Pixar movie and have an up experience, I'm walking out again. Okay? I don't need another up experience. And neither does my, 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 my uh, wonderful bride here, where the both of us were sobbing messes by the end of that first 10 minutes. No thanks. Yeah, you were also not in a really good place emotionally to watch that movie yet. No, we were, sir. Uh, no, we uh, uh, Again, Up was a tad misadvertised. <laughs> Just a bit. That being said, I still find Up to be a tremendous film, but I understand I that it doesn't fine. play for you the same way it place for other people. But it goes up with like watching the first 10 minutes of of uh, of uh, Friday, not Friday, of A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then it suddenly turns into fucking Ghostbusters. Like, Jesus! I, 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 see, I see the connection, I guess, but you're talking about two total, completely different tonal shifts. Alright, I... I... I you know fundamentally agree. I also think it's necessary to set up where the Ed Asner character is for the rest of the movie and how he interacts with other people. Okay, I will say this: if you haven't just lost a child within weeks of watching that movie, you probably don't have the. It probably doesn't have the effect on you it had on my wife and I. But we did, and I I can't change that. I and you are more than entitled to the emotional roller coaster and whatnot that you go on as you live your life and observe and, and you know, consume media. So as I, said, I, would prefer not to have, I would prefer not up to hit me right where I live in a situation where I've had, you know, it would be like, you know, the father who lost the kid to the alligator and the next movie, he sees something similar happen. So like, Jesus, leave me alone. <laughs> I don't need this. I don't need to see a movie with this in it right now. Um, and that's not the movie's fault. I just don't need to see it. Uh, John Ward of the Advocate of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Finding Dory has its moments, but it's not one of Pixar's home runs. Two and a half out of four stars. Uh, disagree. 
this is absolutely <laughs> one of uh, this is absolutely a home run for Pixar. Amy Nicholson of MTV, a top critic and also a feature art, uh, feature fighter on movie fights from Screen Junkies. Someone I generally like. Morbidity covers every scale of Finding Dory, like Finrot. She gave it a C. You fought you. Wait, 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 wait. You believe Finding Dory to be a fundamentally morbid film. That's the premise from which you are arguing here. Yeah. I can't even begin to fathom that is a coherent thought process. (laughs) Nice girl, but apparently on drugs. Uh, Renee Rodriguez of the Miami Herald, top critic. Finding Dory isn't so much a sequel to Finding Nemo as it is a Looney Tunes spinoff, wilder, sillier, broader, and instantly disposable. Two and a half out of four stars. Aww, I would we have give, a problem with the drug sequence. I will give them sillier. I would even give them broader, and it certainly moves at a much faster pace, which I had issues with at times. Not to the detriment of the overall film, but if I'm nitpicking the, yeah, again, the uh, supersonic speed with which a few sequences occur, or a few leaps are made in location, yeah, okay, relatively cogent point. This is not an instantly disposable film unless you count you know, 90% of all film is disposable. Uh, Kenneth Terman of the Los Angeles Times also is a top critic. As a 13-year gap between Nemo and Dory indicates, this was not a concept that cried out to be made. <laughs> I would agree with that sentiment. I would also say that given that this was, you know, created and written and whatnot by the same people that did Finding Nemo, who, I mean, sure, Disney wanted another one because the first one made nearly a billion dollars 13 years ago. They also didn't rush through a half-assed sequel. They got the movie fundamentally right. Now, if you're just tired of sequels and they would stop making them, I understand. I feel your pain. You can't take it out on every sequel willy-nilly. Armand White of the National Review. For anyone who is not a legally bound babysitter, Finding Dory offers nothing that will please a taste for finer humor, freer fun, or genuinely expressive filmmaking. Suck it, bypass. That's our last rotten review. We've talked about that at at length. Pixar does a great job of integrating things that adults can care about into their basically kids' movies. And they did it again here. No. Now, okay. Uh, uh, Finer humor. Are we dealing with the level of wordplay or sophisticated writing that we got in even, say, Inside Out? No. But Inside Out was one of the best written movies ever. Yeah. Humans look a little weird, but but yes, it was a brilliantly written film. Uh, again, fundamentally disagree with your premise that an adult without kids could not enjoy that movie. Just not true. Yeah, it's just, uh, some of these critics, it's, uh, again, I think that they're, they're going out of their way to be harsh, just to be harsh, just to run against the pack. But, all right, we have uh, just a few minutes left. Um, as I said, 
Next week, we are reviewing Independence Day Resurgence. Not bringing Yay. my kids to that one. Not bringing my child to that one. I've been told not to. Um, which is fine. I don't think she's really old enough to... First of all, as I keep telling people, I, I think she'd be fine in the movie as far as being able to watch the visuals. I don't think she'd get too scared. I honestly think she'd be bored out of her fucking mind. You know, I, I don't... I, I As much as I would like her to... After my experience with her at Warcraft... There's just there's just a tone and a narrative um, limit to which he can accept, and when you go over that limit, he just sort of looks at you like I don't know what it is I'm supposed to be watching here. So you know, and I'm gonna and I can accept that at five years old. So we're gonna skip bringing the daughter to Independence Day Resurgence. I, however, I'm gonna go Friday night and gonna have a blast. I love the first Independence Day. I can't wait for this for, for this one, and uh, next week to we'll talk about it. I really loved the first Independence Day as well. I remember going to see it in theaters. I vividly remember I was living in Gresham, Oregon at the time, at old single screen theater. So that I, again, first run when it came out in you know ninety three or whatever. And I remember going to see this movie in theaters and had a blast. I still rewatch it every July Fourth because it's fun. Because it's a very well-written and well-realized, large-budget, disaster-slash-blockbuster movie. Welcome to Earth. You get the good one-liners. You have passable heroes. The only, there are two major leaps in logic. One of which I can... Sorry, I thought, sorry, I, I saw them fly their jets. I think I can fly it, too. Good! That's one of them. The other being... His laptop interfacing with alien technology. Well, Apple can, you know, is, is known no. to be able to. No, be, no, <laughs> no. Stop. Wait, no. <laughs> that being said, I again, I enjoy it. I have all kinds of fun with it. And if this movie can just equal the general quality of the original, everything will be hunky dory. However, we're dealing with an inferior cast because we have the lesser Hemsworth and someone playing Will Smith's kid. And uh, I'm not sure it's going to be put in the best position to succeed overall. Again, uh, my goal for this is not great cinema. My goal is be as good as the first one. That's all I want out of this. That is the extent of my expectation and I'm still worried they're not going to hit it. Do you think someone will punch an alien and say, welcome to Earth? No. Because no one on that <laughs> cast can pull that off the way Will Smith did. He mispronounced Earth. Well, welcome he's black, Earth. you see. Oh, Jesus, Winfrey. My goodness. Did you hear that, Melissa? I didn't know. Yeah. All right. Um, this podcast so, has already killed my chances at running for public office. What do I care at this point? <laughs> I knew it. All right. Um, other things we've got going on this week. Um, the new Throw Some Black came out, so you wouldn't know it because the only place you can, I can find this thing is on the actual uh, Throw Some Black Bandcamp page, which I spent the 11 bucks. Thank you. You're welcome, Robert Cooper. Um, so we're reviewing the new Throw Some Black tomorrow. Last week, we reviewed uh, the new Volbeat, Seal the Deal and List Boogie. It stunk. (laughs) 
We also reviewed the new Voltron and Warcraft. Um, Thursday, there's no long road to ruin. That's uh, on a brief hiatus. We'll come back when the week of Ghostbusters. However, Sean and I are going to get together and review Orange is the New Black Season 4. Uh, the following week, we've got, uh, we're going to do a review of Whitechapel, Mark of the Blade, and as I said, uh, Independence Day, and then uh, that's it for the week as far as podcasts with my stuff that I'll be on. Uh, no Long Road to Ruin, no other reviews. We're taking Thursday off because I'll be at Margaritaville. Going to Margaritaville, Robert Winfrey. I really hope not, considering you'll be handling firearms. That's Tuesday. Oh, Tuesday. In which case, Tuesday. go ahead. I Continue slowly killing your liver and brain cells. I will. I, I drink less than my wife does, thank you very much. Tell them. I'm, I'm practically a detail I say you really you don't drink. I couldn't even finish the beer that, uh, that, that we had on our last uh, date night. I fail to see how the level of consumption in this case countermands my point about you imbibing substances that kill your liver and brain cells. Blah, blah, blah. Big words. Blah, blah, blah. None of those were big words. (laughs) You said imbibe. You're gay. You know what imbibe means. and And once again, because you bring that up continually, I am not a homosexual. Or a communist. My political leanings are not towards that of communism and or socialism, no. All right. <sighs> oh, look, the UFC comes to Cleveland. Tickets on sale this week. Can I go to Cleveland? No. I, actually, you could do the same with Shiloh. Woo! You don't, want to, to you don't want to go to Cleveland. Cleveland is not that bad. All right, could you have said that any higher pitch? Sorry. Jesus. <laughs> Cats right now are all are all coming to our house. All right, do your plugs, man, and then hit the button. Uh, last Sunday, I hosted the 411 Ground and Pound radio show. We reviewed UFC Fight Night 89. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson defeated Roy McDonald. It was glorious. Well, glorious might be overselling it, but it was a great technical display, great tactical fight. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Donald Cerrone knocked out Patrick Cote. Fun was had by all, uh, so thanks to everyone who listens. There, uh, To the best of my knowledge, there is no Ground and Pound show this Sunday, unless we get a lot more news on the UFC sale and whether or not that's actually going to mean anything. Here's a minor hint for everybody. If Dana White's still the president of the UFC, nothing will change. Uh, other than that, we will be back on the 3rd of, Ju- of July... And we'll be previewing uh, my least favorite week of the year. Because there's three events on three nights, all back to back to back. Culminating in UFC 200. Yeah, I'm going to be a tad burned out by the end of that. And more than a little bit frustrated. I'm just extrapolating there based on announced fights and what I expect various results to be. So anyway, July 3rd, tune in. We'll be previewing all three of those cards. Yay. I don't know how Larry Zonka does it. I just don't. Uh, All right. Again, Mark and I will be back on next Wednesday for Independence Day Resurrection. 
uh, resurgence. Sorry, resurrection, because I was thinking, you know, what has Jeff Goldblum done recently? His career could certainly use a good old shot in the arm there. Now, that poor guy got robbed of an Oscar. Absolutely robbed for uh, the fly. Shame, really. All right. Uh, that's it for us. We have new outro music. Yes, we do. Because Mark likes clutch. I have no concerted opinion one way or the other. But uh, we'll be going out with their sounds now. Please don't sue us. We don't make money. Please. We're really not worth it. So until next time, for Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding everyone out there to please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.